Welcome to season three of Finding Your North Star, the HGKC podcast series where we are speaking to business leaders about the challenges they face in reframing the future. I'm Peter Quintana, and I'm delighted to welcome my business partner, Kim Jones, who's going to share the research that she's been doing into how business owners approach the need to innovate in a world that's changed not only by technology, but also by these extraordinary circumstances of social and commercial upheaval. Kim's research has also been testing our belief that an innovation mindset is not enough if it's driven from an ivory tower. There's a long history of failure to derive sustainable value from innovation if it's not at the cultural level in a business. Reframing is about having a plan for a disruptive future at the same time as delivering in a disruptive today. We believe business leaders and their workforce need to be more comfortable making decisions to flex, enabling businesses to get product to market at scale. Being human-centric, putting people first, then deploying technology at speed to innovate at scale allows you to develop workplaces and market offerings that resonate with workers and consumers. So, hi Kim, lovely to see you. I'd like to focus on the customer first. Innovation is always about identifying new ways to fulfil unmet needs and solve problems. But the first response in times of a crisis is to look internally to reduce costs or increase efficiency. But these are often really only small gains, aren't they, and, and, and take a lot of energy. The findings from your research have reinforced the need to keep looking externally. Can you give some insights into the conversations that you've been having? Yeah, sure. I've interviewed a range of entrepreneurial people. They're largely the founders of their businesses, from people who are still in startup mode to people who are very experienced running digital media and other kinds of businesses. Some have been business to consumer, but largely business to business. Fundamental premise has been the acceleration of digital disruption and the impact that that's had. And universally, they have all been customer first approaches. They've all been very focused on understanding that they have to solve problems for their customers and the problems they solved currently or in the past are not necessarily the ones that the customer has now or in the future. So how do they respond to that in their business and have that flexibility? And that's very much around their people, but what they've had to understand is how to shift quickly. So if you've been on a retained client for a long time doing work, perhaps on a global program, and that needs to stop. So they've had to shift from having perhaps large retained accounts to pay as you go and doing projects and very different kind of work for after this is all over. So they've been very much around, how do I make sure that the customers I have are the customers in the future? And also how do I attract new customers now that I can build and develop on? And it's really interesting that they have all taken this, be prepared to shift, move, keep problem solving, keep very focused on what the client's needs are now. It doesn't matter whether they're in digital or whether they are in a service related business. One of them also has gone into a collaboration with the client, which I think is a fairly unique way of working so that they can do things better by embedding skills from both together around a specific project and I'm looking forward to finding out a bit more about that project in the future and how it rolls out you know is that a successful approach long term I'm going to ask you a bit 
more about collaboration shortly. But you mentioned um, technology disruption and, and technology has long been driving growth, isn't it? And, and also for some time now, we've seen the rise of the importance of data in business, fueled in many respects by the increased capability of AI and digital tech. So how have you seen data, AI and digital technology generally being used to support change in the last few months? Because we've become used to these kind of platforms now, haven't we? And yeah. lots, of, lots of other people out there are, are using Zoom and Teams and Mural and other tools on a regular basis. I think this is probably the biggest significant shift in the last six to nine months, where larger firms were really in programs of wholesale renewal of technology, you know, on three and five year type horizons have had to bring that all forward. And the things at the core of it is looking at your data and your complexity in your business processes and in your data. So what do you need to keep at your core? What do you need to be able to do for yourself? And then what are the things that you do with others? Nicola Ray, modern, it's worth listening to the podcast just to hear her explain uh, how she's worked with uh, serious decisions in terms of the decision layer. So helping people bring together disparate platforms that they might currently have, disconnected bits of data around their customers or their business processes to enable them to continue to work much more effectively and give that decision support back to the business around the critical things so they can still keep making money, they can keep their services uh, running. So it's all about how do we integrate, how do we add value to our clients to bring these together? What are the new things that we will need to create in our own business and for our clients? There's also been innovations in the business models, looking at electric vehicles, for instance. There is a company in Bristol who are looking at dealing directly with the customer in a subscription model for electric vehicles. Well, there are lots of proprietary systems out there and what they've learned is how to bring all these things together so that we can actually create something, disrupt the marketplace, disrupt the traditional way of delivering this by using much more customized uh, data journeys for the individual to make it accessible. It's, it, it's interesting that you mentioned that particular example because it's long been a fundamental truth in business that you stick to what you're good at, you stick to your knitting as they say, which is one reason why innovation increasingly is about collaboration outside the firm. One of the challenges, though, is that sometimes that knowledge development can be limited to the specific firm doing the work, and therefore not all firms involved, and, and, and often the firm that's reached out for that very purpose benefit from the knowledge transfer. The, the research you've been doing, and you mentioned that you touched on it uh, a moment ago, is uncover firms who are finding new ways to make sure they benefit from new technology as well, isn't it? One of the things that they look at is who's in your ecosystem. So is it your customers, your suppliers, your partners, and more importantly, your employees, and really harnessing the potential of all the people that you've got in there and looking at very different ways of delivering. So working much more collaboratively, much more about partnerships, and being much more of a disruptor. So things with the electric vehicles, you know, they're going direct to the uh, supplier. You know, they're dealing directly with BMW and Tesla and Renault. They're not dealing with networks of distributors or other routes. They're going straight to source. So it's a really different way of approaching problem solving. And then the end user, the customer, 
will be paying a subscription model for something which they could, you know, affordability would not, not have been there before. Yeah, it's disrupting him as the contract hire to a certain extent, isn't it? That, but, but, but as you say, the, the electric vehicle market in particular, the, the prices are still pretty high, aren't they? They are. And also it's, you know, it's probably a, it's an urban model. You know, that's where we need to have this. That's where it needs to work. The pilot program will start in, in the new year and it will start in Bristol and then it will all be rolled out city by city. But it does bring that kind of affordability and need together and also bringing in wider issues such as climate change uh, and those impacts into business. But the opportunity to disrupt a, a whole new way of working, just imagine if we didn't need car showrooms anymore. You know, just think of the available land use that would give you because it would be a very different way of, uh, you know, uh, managing your transport needs in an urban environment if you could have fleets of electric vehicles on a subscription model. You were just booking them and having them dropped off and, you know, working much more holistically. Could convert all those dealer showrooms into uh, recharging sites, couldn't you? Because that's one of the biggest challenges of moving yeah. to to uh, electric vehicle anyway. But that's the whole part of this ecosystem that they're building. You know, those people are involved as well and they're involved with councils and mainstream providers and, you know, petrol stations, looking at all the normal routes that we would have to make that accessible because of the problem with the urban environment is a lot of people live in flats. So how do you have recharging stations for flats? So it's that kind of approach that they're looking at so they're looking at you know having things embedded in street furniture and talking to councils about how they plan and do urban uh, developments so it's quite a it would be quite a radical disruption to see that in our everyday lives mm. and it's not that far away you know if we can accelerate this kind of disruption around running our businesses and the flexibility of way people work uh, for lots of businesses. I mean, it doesn't work for manufacturing, for instance, but it certainly does for a lot of service-based businesses. Then we should see some acceleration in other parts of the economy too. Mm. The confluence of, of Brexit and COVID has really started to shake up our workforce, hasn't it? But this is also providing a source of new opportunities I think this is where we, we talk about human-centric because being human-centric allows you to develop workplaces and market offerings that really resonate with workers and consumers. What do firms need to do to nurture and grow their talent at this time? I think it's quite a radical shift for people about being much more a people-centred business and spending much more time on helping people be best at work and the key word I think is flexibility because mm. work is not about workplace it's about work and space they're not the same thing I think one large company that I've seen really embrace this massively was Zurich who put out their new policy about understanding the shape of their workforce and the workforce of the future and about their expectations for people to not be feeling that they have to return to a workplace and replanning the refurbishment and redevelopment of their sites completely and putting the flexibility in the hands of the teams of the people and their managers to allow them to 
be productive when they need to be and be at their best when they need to be rather than seeing it as a task-based approach or a traditional fitting in round five it, it people need much more options and i think embracing the globalness of work your teams do not need to be the people that you can have line of sight so therefore you have to have much more uh, creative management because it's this remote not distant they can be in a remote location but you're you cannot be a distant manager in terms of your ways of working with them and accountability and support we've seen this with clients where they have global operations you know we ourselves were a southwest based consultancy <laughs> uh, only uh, a year ago really we had some clients with some international operations but now the focus is anywhere some of the people i interviewed you know they have operations and partnerships on, on just all over the uk but also embracing other parts of the world so alexel has its app development split between hampshire and warsaw and where the core team might only be say 20 people down in plymouth the wider teams got to 400 people in it a huge range of expertise and flex so you've got to be able to flex around that so where the projects are where the people are and also global delivery and what's really interesting as well is things like GDR compliance. Things that you could do in Europe and the States, you can't do those things anymore. You've got to separate them out. So that separation arises different ways of working, a different locus of thought around your people and the standards they've got to work to. So you've got a whole set of rules going on for the stuff that you've got to do for your US clients, you've got to and people and another set that you've got to do for European because they're not allowed to mix under GDPR. So you've, you've really got to get those things right because you cannot have your customer data and things that need to move in different places. And I think you go with the talent, you know, you let the talent be at its best. Talking to Gavin Jones at Elixir, he talked about having this ecosystem of specialists around them because they're a design thinking consultancy, being able to draw on AR and VR skills and photography skills, but they need perhaps very specific ones. They don't have work for those people all of the time, but it allows them to work more flexibly with a wider pool of talent and then keep in the business the core skills that they need to grow and develop, which are around the core business. And as it grows and scales, those people you know, have the opportunity to become part of it too. And certainly in terms of hiring, people are no longer looking at location as a, a prerequisite on their applications now no no i was gonna say i think it's, it's fascinating how how this concept of workplaces has moved over the last six months but prior to lockdown there was always the concept of flexible working and and in principle people yeah. their employer and say i want to work from home but the employer always had the option to say no if they could come up with good enough business reasons to say no but now we've proven that people can work from home if, if, if they have to and, and are. Now, some are coping that less well than others. But I, I heard the, uh, the, the Zurich story yesterday on the news as well. And it's quite extraordinary. They are the largest office space in the southwest in Swindon. Uh, and yet it, it's empty now. There's hardly anybody in there at all because everybody is working from home. And they, as an employer, are quite comfortable with that idea. So this concept of hybrid space 
you know, it's a little bit like you were saying just now about the about showrooms being no longer required. Well, in, in, in many places, neither will office space be required. So the office of the future is going to look quite different, isn't it? Yeah, and that's what Julie were talking about, about reconfiguring it, about being a place for people to meet, a place for people to connect rather than a workplace as such. It doesn't need to look like an office inside. But I think one of the, the strengths from the whole th- set of conversations was around having a strong culture, a team spirit and collaboration and a flexible approach to work and performance. Yeah. yeah. You know, and those are probably the key things that I sort of uh, pulled out from that. One of them was quite interesting in terms of their focus on their culture and putting in what they call their entrepreneurial quality. So everyone they hire, they are looking for people who are willing to commit to developing the business or their own business. It doesn't matter whether the ideas are going to be around growing that particular business around what could be spin off on other businesses but they are hiring for that as a quality and they're embedding that in their staff handbook and in their approach giving people time to explore that within their working week you mentioned um, gdpr a, a moment ago there have been some well catalogued failures haven't there recently of some quite high profile initiatives to do with people and data yeah. The way some call centres are using tech to measure performance, GDPR failures, including the use of tools such as Zoom to record meetings and conversations. We recommend that firms develop and promote self-audit policies to protect against this, don't we? Yeah, we did see a lot of failures in the beginning, things like Zoom, lots of Zoom bombing and inappropriate things going on. You know, so setting up those new ways of working and new standards around Uh, compliance. I think a lot of firms are still behind the curve around people's domestic setups and the quality of security and their ability to monitor that remotely and how they're going to do that is still quite embryonic in a lot of firms. Mm -hmm. Larger firms have got the IT support systems and infrastructure. People will be using cloud-based systems, therefore there'll be more control but that's not necessarily the standard in SMEs that we see. I think also there is a lot of loose process around data about what people might be storing on their own computers and how they're managing their day-to-day. Particularly, you know, you might have to have different standards around how people use Facebook, for instance. You know, Facebook for business and Facebook for personal, how they separate those out. I do think we have some emerging issues for us around Brexit, around what will happen with Europe and us and GDR compliance and what will happen with particularly America and America-EU interactions and, you know, the shifting of client data. So when you've got a global client, so if you work for Unilever, for instance, you've got to separate out the stuff you're doing for the US from the stuff that you're doing here. And that's becoming really complicated. Then you've got to aggregate the data back, you know, whole views of the customer journey. There's lots of issues for businesses. I think there's lots of issues also around IP and collaboration where you're working on international projects uh, with people and research with universities. So I think we need to give more thought to it, even in smaller businesses, because we're vulnerable too. 
Mm, absolutely. And um, we very rarely go back and look at what we have. Um, <laughs> yet, yet surely it's here where there can be some really good opportunities for innovation to release quote unquote trapped value uh, in yeah. the business, powering innovation by leveraging data and being agile. How have the firms you've interviewed approached this? In various ways. I've got a very interesting one I want to tell you a little story about. So a client that has very strong operations capability in manufacturing in China. Mm. And what they have around that, therefore, is a very strong logistics and procurement because they manufacture, so they buy in more materials and other components. So it's a strength. They understood that was a core strength in their business. So when it happened, obviously they were hit first and much earlier than other people. So their issue was, okay, what can we do as a business? And said, well, we've got these core capabilities and strengths in procurement and in logistics. And we could help people back home in the UK with that. So what could we do? So they sought about investigating their relationships and secured some PPE for some hospitals here because they had the quality of people and the quality control to make sure that it would meet requirements. And they supplied uh, an authority here securely for the duration, which did two things, you know. One, it made them feel good that they had done something good for their, their parent company in the UK and their, their home base. And also it gave them the cash flow to look after their people in China for the duration. So they released that sort of capability and that's allowed them to, when they came out of their lockdown earlier, to get back to manufacturing. But also they're now thinking, okay, we've got some strengths in here. There's real value in this, perhaps longer term, as something we can do. So they are now talking to other NHS groups around what they could do to help. Mm. So that's a kind of a really interesting one in terms of leveraging it. Some of them are looking at strengths that they have and applying them to, to new markets. So they've got strengths in monitoring and thinking, well, how do we make this more dynamic? And they have just launched an app so that it can be used in the field. It's sort of control and monitoring of central heating systems and that type of thing in commercial as well as domestic environments. So they've developed their own app because that would allow them to do things much easier in the field and down to the engineer level and give people much more autonomy and control in their roles. So it's looking at really releasing value in their own people, their IP and their processes and efficiencies, and also in their customer journeys. So a lot of people have been looking at how we could take out touch points in here, how we can have more value, what is it we've already got in our people, um, so that's been a really effective process for a lot of them. I had a fascinating conversation with one of our clients a couple of weeks ago, event sector, venue booking largely, when lockdown struck, was thought there would be no business whatsoever. Now they, they survived in the early days because they were doing apartment booking for key workers who were not able to book into hotels. But subsequently, they've done very similar. They've looked at what their core strengths are. It's one of their core strengths is in event organization. And they're now organizing hybrid events. 
so they've kind of uh, swatted up on the tech platforms and they can now offer their client base that would have been meeting in the real world for a conference they can organize it online or a mix of online and real world depending on where they are and it's quite extraordinary and he, he reckons September is one of the best months that he's seen it's quite amazing the turnaround yeah and it can have that impact you know if you've got the space to do it now not everyone has a lot of people have had to focus on just making it through to the other end but I think critically evaluating where your strength is and taking away marginal activity which are really eroding value in your own activity and your clients is really important it's really painful but you need to do it because otherwise they just stop you growing and they stop you making more money from the things you're good at because you're always focusing you know it's the 80 20 rule you end up spending 80 percent of your time for 20 percent of the value in your business yeah 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 i mean it's fascinating stuff you've done now is it half a dozen maybe more um yeah. interviews for you for the for the podcast the podcast for our listeners is called finding your north star by the way you can find it on our website which is www.hdkc.co.uk and it's season three that we're on which is looking at reframing the future and there are still a, a couple more to go i think aren't there Yep, I'm recording one tomorrow, yeah. which I'm really looking forward to, and I've been looking forward to for weeks, and I've got uh, another one being in October, which much more uh, firms with the, the complexity with sort of manufacturing and services, so they should be a bit more in-depth and hopefully well worth a good listen afterwards. So. Uh, well, thank you very much. That, that, that's, um, that's, it's really good.